Magazines and Monsters, episode 57, Dracula, Prince of Darkness, from 1966. At this lonely crossroad in the Carpathian Mountains, four travelers find themselves abandoned at nightfall by a local coach driver who was afraid to go any further. There's no driver. A coach with horses that knew the way. A table laid for four. Was this kindly hospitality? Isn't your master joining us for dinner? No, sir. I'm afraid not. Is he indisposed? He's dead. Why should a dead man be interested in entertaining guests? Dracula, Prince of Darkness, King of the Vampires. For ten years, his mortal remains were cherished by his faithful servant, awaiting the opportunity and a victim to provide the life force for the reincarnation of Dracula. Strange premonition warns the guests at Castle Dracula that their host is ready to receive them. I must kill him. He is already dead. He is undead, Mr. Kent. He can be destroyed, but not killed. You don't need Charles. Doc Strange here, back with another episode of the show. And this is going to be another really fun movie discussion here. Uh, I have a good friend of mine here to talk about a great Hammer movie. So uh, welcome back to the show, Pete Dory. How are you, Pete? I'm good, Billy. Hello. Um, yeah, so we're, we're kind of, um, we're on a Sunday night. We're on the long, dark Sunday tea time of the soul. But it's uh, it's a bank holiday Monday tomorrow. So this is all good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, I, yeah, when we just talked beforehand, I looked back and I was like, holy crap, it's been six months since we uh, talked about something. And last time you were on, we talked about a, a couple episodes of the uh, uh, the Christmas specials there that came out in the UK there by like, you know, Mr. James and those uh, mm. other uh, ones there, which was a lot of fun. And this one's going to be a lot of fun, too, but for totally different reasons. This one is uh, a long four movie by uh, Hammer from 1966. And this is uh, Dracula Prince of Darkness. So What's uh you know what's uh, your uh, your uh, uh, initial reaction to this film when you saw it? I I loved it. It's one of my favourite hammers. It's you know hammers one of those weird things where you can't quite remember when you saw these things. I obviously must have seen it as a kid. Um, I mean, when we spoke last time, I think I said that on the on BBC Two they used to do the Universal movies, they do the Frankensteins, and then they would show a hammer after that. And if you could stay awake, 
because this was past midnight, um, you could watch a hammer. So, yeah, I must have seen this at that at that point and, and just been terrified by it. But watching it as an adult, as we were saying previously, I think it's 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 fantastic. It's eerie. It's creepy. It's gory. It's nasty. It's funny. It's got a gun-toting priest. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's got the fantastic Barbara Shelley, who I love, and she's brilliant in it. Philip Latham mm. is brilliant in it. Everyone is great. Christopher Lee basically plays a shark. Um, he's, <laughs> you know, he's not even vaguely human, is he? In no, movie. no. <laughs> um, everything about it from start to finish is fantastic. It's one of the great hammers. I genuinely mm-hmm. think that. Yeah, absolutely. To me, this is definitely a, a good one. And it was, uh, you know, in the Dracula series of films, or even if you want to say just vampire series of films, it was, you know, a return for Christopher Lee back to playing the character because, you know, people always think, oh, he was uh, Dracula forever. And he was, he played a lot of, played that a lot in films, but he had been gone from that role for eight years from, mm. horror, you know, Dracula to Dracula Prince of Darkness. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big gap there. Uh, and everybody still always thinks of him I, that I know of, you know, and then Bella Lugosi, of course, too. I don't want to give him a short change there. But, you know, for anybody that's more hammer centric, it's, you know, you think of Christopher Lee as Dracula when you think of him. But eight years away from the role and he stepped right into it. And like you said, he didn't have any uh, speaking parts in this film. Oh. And th- and there's a little bit of debate about that. You know, uh, Lee has one version of why that is. And um, yeah, the director uh, has another uh, <laughs> had another yeah. uh, thing to say about that. So not quite sure on that but uh either way like you said yeah he is very much you know jaws in this <laughs> in this yeah. film where it's just yeah. you know no no dialogue and just this menacing monster and lee being the larger than life you know person that he was and uh, especially in, in stature and in his demeanor uh, he's still very very scary not even without dialogue yeah yeah i mean i do i do vividly remember when i was a kid watching those double bills um i always liked peter cushing you know you there there are actors that you like um everybody likes keanu reeves um but i but i i always hated christopher lee when i was a kid i hated him i thought he's a horrible man well he wasn't but it's just that every film i saw him in he was being horrible um and then you know when i grew up and saw him in interviews i thought oh, you know he's actually quite a nice man but mm-hmm. yeah i hated him when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he would have scared the crap out of me when I was a kid. You know, like this big, tall vampire, like chasing yeah. around. Yeah, no way, man. But yeah, he's a, he played the parts well. No, in pretty much everything he was in, he played the parts well. He, mm. he, along with Peter Cushing to me, no matter what they were asked to do, even if it wasn't the greatest movie or script or direction or whatever, they always were a, a bright spot for sure. Completely, yeah. They would always do their best, and everybody in this movie is doing their best and making it work. And they're not treating it like a joke. No, they're, abs- they're absolutely making it work. And and Christopher Lee doesn't even turn up until halfway through it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you kind of don't miss him, and you don't miss Peter Cushing because it's so well done up to that point. Mm-hmm. You know, I was I was almost at the point where when he turned up, I was like, oh yeah, it's a Dracula movie, isn't it? I forgot that. He <laughs> <laughs> forgot for me. You thought it was just about a gun Tony. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and a, a weird, ser- a weird servant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, but I mean, I said that on Twitter, didn't I? You know, who mm-hmm. who steals the movie? Is it Andrew Keir? Is it Bobby Shelley? Is it and is it Philip Latham? I think it's all of them because I think they're all fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that scene 
where, well, firstly, Andrew Keir turns up at the start with a gun and he's brilliant in that. But when he turns up and offends everybody in the pub, <laughs> roasts, roasts his ass at the fire, it's like, yeah, you, you love him. You love him instantly. Yeah. Um, and he, and it, you know, and he says, oh, I do like offending people. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> yeah, he's he he is really, really good in this one. And he's been in a couple of Hammer films and I, uh, I three I can think of off the top of my head. And I love all three of them. But yeah, yeah this was uh, this was like we said, 1966. And it was uh, it was uh, shot back to back with Rasputin, the Mad Monk, which is another one where oh. he was just excellent in that film, too. He was a real maniac in that film. Oh. He was great. Yeah, and then, um, sometimes a few of the times when it was released, it was on the double bill with uh, Plague of the Zombies, another Hammer film from '66, which is pretty good too. I think that's a, a fun film there too. Yeah, well. I love Maybe, like, yeah, yeah, I love yeah. Plague of the Zombies. Yeah, that's a pretty good one too. And this one, you know, this one's been out on DVD, Blu-ray in the UK, the US multiple times too. This is this is one of the more popular ones. Um, you know, once you get past those first initial uh, Frankenstein and uh, Dracula films, I think this is one that mm. pops up too. A lot of people enjoy this one. So, mm. yeah, I mean, it, and it had all the the the, the big guns too uh, behind the camera here as well. You know, we had uh, our good buddy, uh, uh, director Terrence Fisher, who was mm. pretty much the guy for Hammer. You know, with all their big films, he was the, I would say, probably the best director of horror films they ever had. I'd agree. Yeah, I'd agree. Mm-hmm. And then screenplay was uh, Jimmy Sangster. I think he used a, a a pseudonym for this one, but that's actually who was this screenplay. And then um, maybe it was a story as well by uh, Anthony Hines. I don't know why that was sometimes with a couple of those guys behind the scenes. They used uh, different names rather than their own. I, I would have been way too... Uh, arrogant and wanted my own name out there for everybody to be like yeah it's that guy we love him <laughs> well i think i think it was about they were realistically quite a small operation so i think it was kind of let's make ourselves sound bigger than we actually are you know there's loads oh, of yeah. us I, th- yeah. I think i think I, i've got no evidence for that but i think that's what it was about um but jimmy sangster was fantastic yeah mm-hmm. i mean he wasn't he wasn't a great director <laughs> as, <laughs> as as he himself would say but he was a brilliant writer yeah and then uh producer anthony nelson keys another one of those names you see in all the big hammer films too mm. that's that's and then music james bernard he's a guy too that was very very powerful uh music accompaniment to films he was he was mm. a great one too yeah it's it's a class act from start to finish it really is Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, pro- I'm probably a very low budget. Um, no, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <you know>. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> for sure, yeah. Hammer, yeah, they didn't sink a whole lot of money because they didn't have a lot of money into their. Films. No, no. <laughs> I mean, you know, I have. I can't remember exactly where that forest is, but I have. I did used to work quite near that forest. Else, is it Elstree? Um, oh, could where, be, yeah. Where all the forest scenes happen, and it, and and when you go there, you, I mean, I think. I'm not 100% sure, but have you ever seen Hawk the Slayer? The, the, no. The, the, it's, it's a very, 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 very low-budget sword and sorcery film, Mm-mm. British, from the 80s. Um, and I'm convinced that that lake that Father Shandor turns up in at the start of this is the same lake that they use in Hawk the Slayer. So it's like, yeah, let's just go. Because the studio was around the corner. Um, so it's like, yeah, let's just go to the forest and film it. It looks good. Let's do that. And it did look good. You know, it looks like it's one of those things where they kind of go, um, let's make it look like we've got a big budget just by using good stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, like we said here, why don't we take a quick look at the cast here? We have Christopher Lee, of course, as we've mentioned, as Count Dracula, you know, returning from his uh, eight year absence there. And then we have uh, 
Francis Matthews as Charles Kent, and he's uh, he's been in a couple of Hammer films as well. But uh, Father Shandor, you know, the gun-toting monk uh, priest here, that's Andrew Kerr, and he's pretty good too. I really like him. He's great. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah Qua- Quater Mass in the Pit he was in. He was excellent in that one too. Um, and then he was in, oh gosh, which one was it? He was in one of the... Uh, one of those more offbeat films, and I can't think of the name of it. It was almost like a where Christopher Lee was in it too, and he was like a, a pirate type guy, and they came to the island, and there was a settlement there. He was oh, in that one too. Turn yeah, on. he he was in that one too, and I can't think for the life of me the name of it here. And of course, it's just driving me insane, so I'm gonna have to look <laughs> it up. Oh, uh, Pirates of Blood River. Yeah. Oh, I've never seen that. Um, yeah, that's oh. that's a good one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's no. a good one. Well, with those two in it, yeah, it'd be it'd be a lot of fun, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and then like you mentioned too, Philip Latham as Clove. Uh, he's yeah. a he's a really wild character. This so one. good, so good. Yeah, and then Susan Farmer, she'd been in a couple of Hammer films as well as Diana Kent, and then you know, like we had mentioned too, Barbara Shelley as Helen Kent. Uh, she is fantastic in this film. She'd done multiple Hammer films as well. She was great in all of them. You know, always yeah. consummate actress, always delivered. And a, a beautiful lady to boot. Yeah, yeah, I had a total crush on her when I was a kid. But mm. yeah, fan, fantastic actress. The interesting thing about Francis Matthews, I don't know if um, he's a, he's a little bit like um, some of the people we were talking about in the Christmas Ghost stories. Is that I mostly remember Francis Matthews from sitcoms. He, he did a few sitcoms, and he was always that kind of silly ass. Oh, it'll all be fine, everyone that he is in this because it's just hilarious the way he's just like oh no we're in this castle and there's there's no one here but there's food and it's perfectly fine everyone and he was always, <laughs> and he was always like that but he was also um do you know captain scarlet no i don't know that one there's um do you know thunderbirds yes yes yeah mm-hmm. the guy who made thunderbirds jerry anderson also made a puppet tv series called captain scarlet Mm. Um, and Francis Matthews was the voice of Captain Scarlet because he could do a really good Cary Grant impression and they couldn't afford Cary Grant. Um, So if you like Thunderbirds or if anybody out there in the US likes Thunderbirds, you've got to check out Captain Scarlet because it's very dark. It's a a puppet show, but it's very, very dark. (laughs) That's cool. Yeah, I'll have to look for that. Yeah, Thunderbirds, I've seen a few of those. They're fun. But yeah, something that's dark. Oh, yeah, I'd like to see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you like that. So so that's that's fun with Francis. I mean, it's just fun spotting these actors who appear in other things. You go, well, hang on, what's he doing in this? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's a little bit disappointing that Michael Ripper doesn't show up as the pub landlord. Because he, yeah. he was always the pub landlord, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, we got a but, couple of yeah Hammer guys in here that were, you know, always playing those kind of bit parts, uh, just like him as well in uh, Thorley Walters and George Woodbridge. Mm. Those were two guys that you see pop up in a lot of Hammer films. Oh, yeah. Thorley Walters, yeah, all the time. Yeah. Oh, here he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they're always like typically very funny parts that they would play. Yeah. You know, you get some humor out of them too. So I love seeing. You know, like you said, it would be great if Ripper was in it, but those two guys kind of made up for it in my mind because uh, yeah, they, yeah, they're like yeah. they're like you know they're so so good. You're always looking for one of those uh, bit bit players in this one as well. And then even the the coach driver that uh, you know pulls a knife on them at some point mm. in here, John Maxim. He mm. uh, I remember him. He was in Quatermass in the Pit too, a small part he had in that one too. I remember. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I kind of. I kind of look at the hammers a little bit like the carry on films and it's just like you go, oh, it's him, oh, it's him, great. And it's kind of like, 
when you see certain actors, you know you're in for a good time. You know, it's mm-hmm. like you can, you can relax and go, this is going to be fine, he's in it, you know. Yeah. Or she's, or she's in it, this is going to be fine. And it and with this, it very much is. Um, mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun. And and like I said earlier, you know, the, the early scenes where, where the travellers, where the young, where the couples are in the castle and Dracula hasn't even turned up, it's very eerie and it's very creepy and strange and what's going on and uh, mm-hmm. it, it it works it really works yeah and then i did i want to mention one more person charles tingwell he was alan kent uh oh yeah uh, which is uh charles brother uh older mm. brother there in this one as well so i did want to mention him but yeah strong cast a lot of fun to be had here so uh all right well if you're ready here i'll just do a very very quick little synopsis from imdb here by uh uh uh, jeremy perkins thank you jeremy for this so i'll just launch into that it's literally a couple of sentences and then we'll uh go into the first scene how about that Mm -hmm. yeah let's go all right so two couples traveling in eastern europe decide to visit carlsbad despite dire local warnings left outside the village by a coachman terrified at the approach of night they find themselves in the local castle and are surprised at the hospitality extended by the sinister clove. It turns out the owner, Count Dracula, dead for 10 years, has been hoping for such a visit. <laughs> and that's uh, that's pretty much it in a nutshell, but uh, we're going to get to uh, more of the particulars here, you and I. So, again, this is something they did with this movie that I'm glad they did because, as we mentioned, you know, with Lee not having been uh, the Count for so long, you kind of wanted to bridge the gap between that first Dracula film and this one, mm. um, you know, to see and show them being connected. So, you know, there's like a little prologue here where we kind of see the uh, final scene from that first film there. And I'm glad they did that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very, because it's all the best bits, it's very fast moving and it gets your heart pumping and you're like, wow, wow, wow. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? So even if you didn't see the first one, you're in there immediately. Yeah, you you see there was, you know, a Van Helsing, which they don't really mention him. But, you know, we see uh, Peter Cushing's character there, Van Helsing, uh, you know, chase down, uh, have a little bit of a confrontation and then ultimately uh, kill uh, Dracula here. And you're like, wow, OK, so how's he going to come back in this film? It's like, well, hold on. There's, there's we got we got we got to wait a little bit to see that happen. But this opening scene in this film that we mentioned where we see uh, Father Shandor. Actually, mm. we see uh, like a, a bit of a funeral procession going through a forest and you get the impression uh, right away that they suspect this dead girl of being bitten by a vampire. And mind you, they have no evidence of this at all. So don't move into any crazy villages in the forest, because if you even get hurt, <laughs> they might think you're a vampire and kill you. But they're going to stake this young girl out in the forest. And just as they're about to do it, you hear this gunfire off. And here's our buddy Father Shandor, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and he's he's like the man with no name, isn't he? He's like, bam, here I am. What the hell's going on here? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, bar- barbarians. He yells at them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he does a, he does a lot of yelling. To be fair to him, but mm-hmm. you know, that's that's Andrew Keir. Um, yeah, it kind of the start kind of reminds me of um, the blood on Satan's claw. It's, oh it's, yeah, it's that kind of weirdness, and then he comes in, and it's suddenly a western, which is brilliant. You know, I love that subvert subversion. Um, and he 100% eats up the screen, doesn't he? It's like, I'm here. I am here now. Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's the the biggest personality for sure. So, yeah, he he comes over and stops them from doing this, and I love just the 
some of the uh, the acting there, and he even like gets a little physical. So there's a, a priest mm. there, kind of directing the the village, uh, the the townspeople or the villagers on like, hey, we need to do this. And we see this guy who has no lines, doesn't say a word, and he has the hammer in the air. And then this you know gunshot goes off, and he's still kind of hovering over this girl. Yeah. And yeah. and Father Shandor comes over and and looks at her. And he pushes the guy out of the way <laughs> and he yeah. checks her out. And he's like, there's nothing wrong with this girl. She just died. And he even calls the priest that's there an idiot. He's like, you superstitious idiot. He calls him because yeah. he's like, yeah. there's nothing wrong with this girl. Just go bury her in the churchyard. And they have a bit of a confrontation there. He's like, I'm not going to read a service over her. And he's like, fine, then I will like do as I <laughs> do as I say. And like I said, he starts yelling and hollering. It's a great scene. I love it. <laughs> well, he's kind of, um, and I think I think in the you know the comic strip you must have seen the comic strip mm-hmm, yeah the Father Shandor I think it was I think it was in there somewhere but I always got the impression that he was one of those people who would have been quite happy being um, just a bully but he lucked into being a priest <laughs> well I can I can be a bully now I'm a priest but he you know doesn't he's not very religious really is he except no. Yeah, you're you really most of the way through this movie, you're kind of thinking to yourself, why did this guy become a <laughs> become a priest or whatever? It's like he doesn't seem to really. Well, because uh, he likes he likes shouting at people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yelling at people, shooting a gun like. Yeah, yeah, you... yeah. <laughs> that's that's totally the impression I get. He's just like, I'm a priest. OK, I'm a priest, but that's not really what I care about. Yeah, and then I love how after that scene we go right to a pub scene, which of course you know Hammer Films, their pub scenes are incredible. They're always fun. Yeah. Sometimes they're used just to break up a little bit of the seriousness. Sometimes there's like really good plot points in there, but they're always fun scenes. And we see mm. uh, that's when we see the other you know the the, the two couples, uh, you know Charles and Alan, and both of their wives. And uh, yeah. they're in the pub and they're having you know like basically a drinking contest with some of the villagers yeah. and. Yeah. They're having a good time. And then we see right away that Alan's wife, Helen, is a, a bit uptight. And she's like, oh, this is foolish. And stop spending all this money. And Charles is like, ah, come on, let's have a good time. And the door flies open. And here comes Father Shandor into a pub, you know, a priest into a pub. Yeah. <laughs> it's but, great. But, but again, they're all great. You know, Francis Matthews is the silly ass buying everybody a drink. Barbara Shelley is the uptight. Well, we'll find out later why she's uptight. Um and then Father Shandor just barrages in and like, again, I'm here, everyone. I'm taking over the entire scene. I'm taking over the entire film. That's it. Mm-hmm. And I'm yep. going to warm my ass by the fire. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love to. He walks in and he's like, everybody gets dead quiet and just stares at him. And he's like, well, what are you all looking at? And like you said, he kind of yells at everybody and sees, uh, he sees garlic hanging from the ceiling. He goes, garlic to keep the boogeyman out. There is no boogeyman. And he throws it, chucks it, and it hits a guy. <laughs> I really wish they'd made another. I, I think I think I saw a bit of an interview with Andrew here where he said he didn't really enjoy it much and he he, he wasn't into it. What you can't tell. Um, they, they should have used Father Shandor again. He was a fantastic character. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I would have been up for another one. I would have watched. <laughs> yeah. I mean, imagine, I don't know. Father Shandor and Captain Kronos team up. That would have been brilliant, wouldn't it? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, absolutely. Vampire slayers and <laughs> yeah. uh, sword. One is a sword, the other one is a gun. Oh, that's hilarious. That'd be great. Like a team up, like a buddy cop show. Yeah, that would have been brilliant, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> so, yeah, so that pub scene is interesting. So, you know, he's like trying to shock people and 
like you said, he comes over and he's like, can I warm myself by your fire? And they're like, yeah, sure. No problem. And he opens the, uh, you know, the, the door up to the fire and pulls his, <laughs> pulls his, <laughs> his, uh, you know, thing up there. And he's got, got his bare rear end hanging out there. It's like, what is this guy doing? And I did notice, man, you, when you watch these things a few times and you try to watch it, to talk about it and be a little more critical of it, when you see him pull up his robe, so his backside is hanging out, Barbara Shelley kind of acts a little like offended and turns away. But Susan's yeah. far, Susan Farmer's character, she kind of takes a little bit of a peek. <laughs> I didn't notice. <laughs> well, that's well, that's kind of that's kind of in character, isn't it? Because yeah, yep, you she's know, kind she, of wild, yeah. Yeah, she's kind of wild. She's obviously younger than Barbara. She's married Francis Matthews, is, who's older than her. Yeah, she's probably like, hey, hey here we go, mm-hmm. wild man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and of course, he walks in carrying a gun too. So I'm sure everybody thought, "What is this not doing?" And, <laughs> you know, he he basically says to them, "You know, like, hey, uh, you know, I carry this gun around because, you know, I shoot some deer with it and bring uh, the the meat back to the uh, uh, the monastery." And he says, "Like, I, I'm sure they think it the uh, deer drops dead by the divine will of God." And he starts laughing. <laughs> yeah, but that's, yeah, but that's. is too great to allow for any other way. You do understand. You must understand. Frau Koenig, tell me that you agree. Hurry up, Father. It'll be dark soon. Please, Frau Koenig. So be it. Then it must be done without your consent. No, you won't do it. You can't. She's my daughter, my baby, my you can't. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
Barbarians. <laughs> this is none of your concern. Would I ride 50 kilometers in this filthy weather if it were none of my concern? You shame the cloth you wear. We can't take any chances. Chances? What chances? This child died. You understand that man of God? She died. Nothing more. You, you can't be sure. Of course I'm sure. Take her to the churchyard. She will be buried properly. I will read no service over her. I will bury her. Now do as I say. Do as I say. You're out of your jurisdiction. I'll complain to the bishop. Do. I tell him that I stopped you from performing an act of blasphemy. Or would you prefer that I told him? Well, we have to be sure. You are an idiot, father. Worse than that, you are a superstitious, frightened idiot. He carries a gun because he likes carrying a gun. Yeah. He, you know, it's like I say, he's, he's, he's the most unpriestly priest in movies ever, isn't he? I think so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, he, you know, kind of asked them what they're doing, and they said they're going and doing some traveling and some climbing and this and that. And they say, uh, you know, maybe in the next day or so, they're heading to Carlsbad. And he says, hey, listen, I don't think you should go there. And they're kind of like, why? What's wrong with that? We heard it's great there and beautiful and this and that. And he's like, listen, I'm telling you not to go there. And he's like, but if you do decide to go there, don't go anywhere near the castle. And uh, the one character, uh, Alan, uh, you know, Charles's older brother, he speaks up and says, there's no castle on the map. And he's like, just because it's not on the map doesn't mean it's there. Don't go near there. So, okay, that kind of sets the table here for, you know, our next scene where uh, the four of them are in a coach, you know, and they're heading towards Carlsbad. And uh, the coach driver has them outside and says, like, listen, uh, I'm going to drop you off here. And it's two kilometers if you want to walk. Otherwise, you know, I'll see you here tomorrow morning and uh, I'll take you the rest of the way. And again, he doesn't say why he won't do it. But, you know, you get the impression that, he doesn't want to go to that town because of, you know, something there that's, you know, he perceives as scary or evil or whatever. So that's a pretty good scene there, huh? Well, Father Shandor has previously said in the pub, you idiots, it was all 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, so that's obviously what he's referring to. Um, mm -hmm. But I think the coachman is brilliant. You know, they think he's going to rob them. And he's like, no, no, here's your, here's your luggage. I will be back here tomorrow. Um but you're all idiots and you're all going to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, and then, and then they go, Oh, let's, let's, let's stay in this completely safe woodsman's cottage that has an open door. Well, it's got an open door. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking it probably has a guy in there with an ax ready to well, exactly. head too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but again, that's, that's, that's the fun of Francis Matthews character, Charles, that he's just like, oh, it'll be fine. You get the impression he'd be on the Titanic going, another cocktail, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. Yeah, this thing's it's unsinkable. <laughs> yeah, he's just like completely unfazed by everything to his mm. to his detriment, obviously. Yeah, the coachman too, like he's serious. He's not screwing around because they keep trying yeah. to argue with him and he pulls and he punches uh, 
uh, Charles, and then pulls a knife on him and is like, get the women out of here, get your luggage, get out of here. And he's like, I'll come back later. He does take off and leave them there. And like you said, they're ready to stay in this uh, creepy looking shed. And then all of a sudden, you know, horses and a coach show up and there's no driver. And they're like, what is going on? Like you said, Charles is so like, "Eh, whatever, this is great. (laughs) Let's just let's just jump in and use this to go to Carlsbad and. Uh, you know, Alan at first is kind of like, mm, this is kind of weird. And so is uh, uh, Charles's wife. But Helen, right away, she is like, something's wrong here. Like, let's not let's not do this. There's something wrong. This isn't right. You know, she almost gets like a an ESP kind of thing going here where she's like, there's there's something that's going to happen bad here. Like, let's not yeah. do this. And they all kind of like dismiss her. But, you know, turns out she was right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, because, you know, because she's a frump and she's repressed and she's uh-huh. no she's no fun. You know, we've all been on holiday with people who were no fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, well, we're not going to listen to her. But, you know, she is, as I've said previously, she's Carl Hardman in Light of the Living Dead. Stay in the cellar. She's mm-hmm. right. She's right. <laughs> but, of course, if they listen, there'd be no film with that. So. Yeah. That wouldn't have been no fun. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, so they uh, they jump in, and it's interesting how it looks like when you look at the surroundings there, it looks like there are three roads. One that does go to Carlsbad, one that probably goes back the way they came, and then a third road. And, mm. of course, he tries to jump in, and uh, Charles, and try to get them to go to Carlsbad, but the horses have basically a mind of their own, and they go down this other road. And he's like, whoa, hold on, stop, and he can't stop them, and they just take off and they drop them off at a castle and they're like, "Uh Oh, this is a castle that we were told is, you know, spooky and scary. <laughs> and there's something going on here. Don't go in there. And Charles is just like, eh, whatever, let's go in, you know, right away. He, eh, no, no big deal. Right. Let's go in. It's just somebody else's house. <laughs> which, which in those days it probably was, it's just somebody else's house, but it's, it's, it's a great set, isn't it? It's a wonderful mm-hmm. set inside, yeah. inside and outside. Um, and I and I always like that about hammers. Obviously, they did it to save money, but yeah. I was I always liked that thing where they never said it, but there was a kind of telepathic thing from Dracula. So he's obviously controlling the horses, even though he's dead. He's controlling clothes. <laughs> he's controlling every, all this stuff is happening because he's making it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always liked that angle to it. Yeah. Yeah, that is pretty cool. And I do like how, you know, like you just mentioned, no, no matter how small the budget was for Hammer, their sets always looked amazing. You know, they, yeah. they they really did. They they found ways to make things look amazing. And even when it was sets that were being reused from previous films, they'd shoot things from different angles. Like they were they were top tier as far as getting the most out of very little. Yeah. And the lighting is beautiful as well. You know, there's there are several scenes where there's kind of um reflections in the crypts yellow and green reflections from the windows and it's beautiful yeah yeah it's really well done mm-hmm. so yeah they kind of have a bit of a, an argument especially helen and charles outside if they're going to go in or not why they should why they shouldn't and uh, they go back and forth and alan's like all right stop it like <laughs> you're like two kids fighting here <laughs> so uh they eventually well i the, they're, the three of them are outside and uh susan farmer's character she's just like let's go in. Diana is her name. She's like, Hey, look this in here. She already walked in by herself and she's checking the place out. So I thought that was kind of funny. She's got a bit of Charles in her there too, huh? Yeah. She's a wild girl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She'll do it. Yeah. yeah that's great. Yeah. She'll always be the first to go into a strange bar or a strange 
<laughs> yeah. She's like, come on in. Look at this. There's four place settings here for dinner. And yeah. they're like, oh, there's probably four, you know, normal people upstairs that are going to come down to dinner any minute. And she's like, yeah, well, they must be deaf because we've made enough noise down here and they haven't come down. So Charles is like, relax. I'll go up there and check it out. And he goes up there and he's looking around and he looks in a couple of the rooms and their luggage is in the rooms already. That was yeah. in the back of the coach. So they're just like, what? And then he calls his brother up. And Alan goes up, and then that just leaves uh, Diana and Helen down there by themselves. And this is when we meet Clove. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is a really creepy entrance. He's like in another room and comes walking in. And what did you think of that entrance there with him in shadow? That was pretty good, right? It was classic. It was classic. I think, I think this whole section is probably my favorite bit of the film, even before Dracula shows up. Because, like I said, it's so well done. It's so eerie and strange, and everybody is every every actor is working it perfectly. And then Philip Lathan appears as clothes, and he's brilliant. He's so odd and weird and threatening, but you can't quite figure out why. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I said, he's he's I, I'm Richard O'Brien must have based riffraff on on clive he must have done oh yeah absolutely i think you know the whole the whole you know he comes out and he's serving them soup mm-hmm. um and he's really frightening but you don't know why he's frightening <laughs> yeah it's funny he's like he's a very tall guy dressed like very dark and he comes out of these shadows and i almost feel like uh uh, whoever did the makeup here, and shame on me, I forgot to look. I don't know if it was Roy Ashton or who it was that did the makeup, but uh, I'll check quick. But they they did a great job. I feel like his skin tone, they you know they put some makeup on him yeah. to just make him be a little bit more uh, like a I don't know, I wouldn't say like a zombie, but you know sort of like a little more grayish or something like that. Sallow, yeah, sallow, like gray yeah. dust. Yeah. yeah, yeah, something and like just, that. And just while I think about it, we're probably skipping ahead slightly, but when, when they all go eventually go to bed, um, and there's the scene where Alan hears something and he opens the door and Clove is carrying a trunk through the corridors. <laughs> he he might as well have turned to the camera and winked at that point, because that was so <laughs> that was so like I'm being creepy. <laughs> <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> yeah, for real. Okay, I did just look it up. It was Roy Ashton that did the movie. Okay. So yeah, I I think he did definitely did put something a little bit extra on on our buddy Clove there to make him look a little extra creepier undead or something even though he's not he's not a zombie he's just he's one of those uh you know people that are you know always trying to uh look out for dracula and help him mm. while he's down and out so there's there's room yeah. yeah yeah so um then he kind of explains everything to uh our four travelers here during dinner because they're just still like we're a little bit lost here like what's going on here and he's like oh he's like you know my master and i love the one line he uses he says his master's hospitality is renowned. I'm like, yeah, it's renowned. All right. He's hospitable up until the point where you never see them again. <laughs> so that was funny. But yeah, he kind of makes mention of that and that he always wants the table to be ready for travelers and this and that. And they're like, all right, you know, sounds like a good as uh, of a reason as anything. And, you know, they have their nice meal. And during that meal, Helen still really, you can see she's very much on edge. And like you said, because she's so uh, stuffy, 
they don't really take any mind to it. Even her own husband at some point, like when they're getting ready to go to bed, he's kind of like, mm. would you stop already? Cause they yeah. just don't believe her. Cause she's so uptight about everything, but she's really onto something here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's Barbara Shelley's killer line, which I love, which mm -hmm. is the bit where Alan says, you will feel better in the morning. And she says, there'll be no morning for us. Mm. And, and, and at that point, the house comes down, doesn't it? It's like, wah! Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh huh. Yeah, that was you know Jimmy Sangster there. Uh, that's that's some good stuff right there. Like you said, he was a good uh, good uh, screenplay guy. And that was a really yeah. great line. That's a great line. Yeah, and she delivers it brilliantly. And you know, and then you know, um, I hear the noise and they see they see Clive <laughs> doing doing his. I am carrying a trunk around the corridors, everyone. Come that's follow me. <laughs> perfectly fine. <laughs> Come follow me. I have some like. <laughs> treats in here <laughs> yeah and alan's like i'll just go and check no don't go and check yeah <laughs> i'm digging myself that. you're in a strange castle a servant is like doing something creepy in the middle of the night why are you leaving your room just lock the door man don't go out there that's what i do that's what yeah I do. i'm not going out to help clove i don't care if he's laying there with a you know a bloody stump and he's gonna bleed out all right sorry pal that's the end of that the door. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah we see he uh goes and uh, follows uh, Clove down to this like uh, inner sanctum of this castle into this real creepy, like kind of almost like a crypt type area. And before you know it, he's getting the old knife in the back from our buddy Clove. Yeah. And of course, now we know what's going on here. Clove is, you know, Dracula's minion and he needed a body. But at this point, like the first time I saw this film, I thought, okay, Dracula and Christopher Lee's Dracula, I remember when he got killed, you know, we, we did see this at the beginning of the movie, too, with that little prologue that showed the ending from the first film. He got turned into dust by Peter Cushing and the sunlight mm. and a cross. How, how is having a dead body going to help? It's not like they're going to be like, hey, bite this guy. He doesn't have any teeth. How are they going to do this? And then <laughs> we see Clove, you know, put a rope around the guy's feet and has this uh, like little uh, contraption set up where he's he's got a bit of a a wheel there and he's turning it and turning it and it's, you know, got a pulley system and it's raising up poor Alan's dead body over like this. Uh, I don't know if you'd call that a coffin or not. Cause it's like a made out of like a cement or something, isn't it? Yeah. It's almost like a, a mini mausoleum. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the, but the thing to bear in mind, I guess, is that Clove has been oiling that equipment for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> <keep> it active. <laughs> because I mean, it, seriously, the great thing about Philip Latham's performance is everything he does from stabbing Alan to serving the soup to, to hoisting Alan's body up above the, the mausoleum. It's like, well, this is my job. You know, it's what I do. So this is what I'm doing mm -hmm. today. But there's no there's, there's almost no malice in him. It's just like, well, this is what I do. This is my job. <laughs> How I'm really bored. I'm just doing this. <laughs> got to got to earn that paycheck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the impression I get from him. But I think, mm -hmm. like I, I can't remember if I said it before we were recording or not. But I do genuinely think, having watched it again the other night, that the scene where Clove hoists Alan up above Dracula's grave and slits his throat, Oof. um it's it's pre-Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's so grisly. There's no, you know, as opposed to before where Clove was humping a, a big trunk around the place. That's mm -hmm. funny. That's deliberately funny. Um, this ain't funny. That's that. I think that's probably the bit 
you know, if you were in the cinema in 1966, that's probably the bit where you'd go, this ain't fun anymore. This is horrible. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. That would have had people on the edge of their seat because it is a nasty scene again for 1966. I mean, yeah. the body is like dangling over this, you know, sarcophagus or whatever you want to call it. And you see Clove, he gets a knife. I don't know if it's the same one that he stabbed him with or not, but he gets a pretty nice sized knife. And the camera is to the backside of the Alan's body. Yeah. And so you can't see anything that happens on the other side, but you see Clove facing this body face to face. And he takes the knife and horizontally, and you hear this this awful awful sound and then blood just starts squirting and pouring out everywhere into this sarcophagus and then when you look down in there you see that's where all the ashes were (laughs) i guess clove swept up all the ashes from uh when he was killed and put him in there and that kind of reanimates uh yeah buddy dracula here yeah and and clove does it in such a bored disinterested way it's like cutting meat you know Mm-hmm. That's 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 I think that's the brilliance of his performance. He does it in such a kind of yeah, slit mm-hmm. this guy's throat, slit that guy's throat. You know? Yeah, you feel a lot of people would have played that like over the top. Yeah, and had a big like creepy smile on their face or something. But it actually works better with Clove just being deadpan and boom, yeah. doing it. He, it's it's yeah. way creepier. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, and then poor Helen. So she's up in the room after he said, lock the door and wait here. I'll be right back. And I don't know how much time it took for all this to happen. 15 minutes, 20 minutes, half hour, hour, however long this took. She's pacing about the room, biting her nails, thinking, where's my husband? And she hears a knock at the door and she opens it. And it's not her husband, obviously. It's Clove. And she looks at him like, well, where's my husband? There's, she, does, she doesn't say anything. And he says, well, I think he says there's been an accident. And he says, uh, come this way i'll take you and she's mm. like uh i don't know about this and then of course she's like well my husband's out here somewhere and she gets her nightgown and throws it on and he says oh don't worry i'll wake the others and he yeah. shows he shows her down the hallway and shows her the way to creep into the little crypt here and she goes down there and of course within you know a few seconds she ends up seeing her husband hanging there with his throat cut and blood everywhere so she lets out this shriek I'm not sure how the how uh, Charles and Diana didn't hear that, unless they're just heavy sleepers and thick doors, maybe. I don't know. But <laughs> it was a really loud scream. You know, Barbara Shelley, she can scream. And she, of course, turns away. And the next thing we know, we see, you know, our buddy Count Dracula has been totally reformed. And, of course, 10 years, he's thirsty. So poor Barbara, she's uh, she's in big trouble here. That's it. But we did but we did miss a bit, Billy. We did miss Dracula's actual um, coming Oh, yeah. Back, yeah, which, that is which, weird. <clears throat> which especially for 66 is so well done yeah um, the whole the whole special effects thing is so well done but i love the fact that it then cuts to the top of the mausoleum coffin and you see his hand come up and his hand yeah. is like it's like a spider it kind of crawls and trying to find purchase you know it's not it's mm-hmm. not again it's not a human hand he's an animal no it looks like um, chalk white too. Yeah, scary. Yeah, yeah. And when he appears on the stairs to Barbara Shelley, he he and he opens his mouth. He looks like a shark. He mm-hmm. doesn't look hu- He doesn't look human in any way, and he doesn't behave like a human for the rest of the movie. Um, yeah, it's very easy when I think when somebody doesn't speak in a film, particularly when they're the villain. To just go well, that's that's simple. That anybody can do that. But I do think, even like you said, we, there are different versions of what Lee felt about the script. 
but he he does give it his all in this, even though he's barely in it. He, he's he's not. There's nothing there that's human. Nothing. He's just a beast that eats. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's creepy. Like you said, sometimes, you know, I, it's not that I would have minded if he had lines, but the no. fact that he didn't and, and was just still like super, super creepy, that, that sometimes can even creep you out even more. Yeah. Yeah, because there's nothing to identify with. Um, nothing at all. He's just a thing. He's, he's an animal, as I say. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, he's he like you said, he puts everything into it. You know, he was not one to uh, shy away from giving his best in a role just no. because he may or may not have thought it was, you know, fantastic. No, not at all. Not at all. So, well, yeah. So then that's that's what happens there. Poor, you know, Alan, he's toast. And now uh, Barb, you know, uh, Helen, she's she's been uh, she's not dead. Well, she is dead, but she's been uh, vampirized here. So, you know, the next morning you get Charles and Diana, they wake up and they're like, Okay, where's everybody at? You know, <laughs> his brother and sister in law are gone. They can't find Clove anywhere. They're just like, you know, what is going on here? They have no clue. And at that point, you're out in the middle of nowhere. It's not like you're going to pick up the phone and ring up the cops or something. So, mm. what do you do? And, you know, uh, Diana's like, I'm creeped out. I, I want to get out of here. I got to get out of here. And he's like, all right, look, I'll take you back to the, the, the uh, woodcutter's shed or whatever they call it. Yeah, where it's completely there. where it's completely safe, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he drops her off there. And I'm thinking, I think I'd rather my wife be there uh next to me rather than be at some creepy yeah. shed, you know, <laughs> out, out in the nowhere. But okay, whatever. No, I'm not no, I'm not throwing stones here, Charles. Uh, but he he does that and he leaves her there and goes back to the castle and he's looking around, he's looking here, he's looking there, and finally he does go down into the uh the crypt area there. And we do see that he finds uh, his brother, Alan. He's like got an arm hanging out of a trunk there. Probably the one <laughs> our buddy Clove was hoofing around there in the middle of the night. And he sees that he's dead. Now, at this point, he's like, you know, just totally freaked out because what's there's not a whole lot he can do. And what what is he going to do? So he acts like he's going to take off. But in the meantime, Clove went and, you know, I guess Dracula, not only is he still, you know, uh, thirsty, He's got his eyes on Diana as well. So he wants, you know, he needs multiple brides. <laughs> so he sends Clove to uh, go pick her up. And she shows or he shows up at the woodcutter shed. And she's like, Clove, what are you doing here? Where's my husband? And he's like, oh, he's he told me to come get you. He's back at the castle and reluctantly. But she does kind of jump in with them and they go back and she goes in through the front door and he's uh, right behind her. But then he shuts the door and locks it. And the next thing you know, there's uh, our uh Good buddy Barbara Shelley as a vampiress now, uh, Helen, and she looks uh, way more sexy and mm. way more up for some fun now that she's been bitten than <laughs> she did before. <laughs> I'd rather she's party so nice. with this. Yeah, I'd rather yeah. party with vamp vampiress Helen than uh, up there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, all all of that, all of that section is so great. Um, mm. You know, Clovis, <laughs> your husband will explain everything. Oh, okay, I'll just get in this carriage with you then. Mm -hmm. um, they're just so dumb, aren't they? But then they have to be dumb. Um, yeah. But yeah, at, at that point, we get the le the lesbian subtext, which is not sub in any way at all. Where's you know, where's Charles? You don't need Charles. No, no, we don't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, she goes right for her, man, and she's. She acts like she's, you know, trying to like entrance her a bit and 
then almost like she's going to try to bite her. But Dracula, he's not having that. He's just like, you know, he's not ever having. He's like, I want I got first dibs on the blood. You can get the leftovers or whatever, yeah. you know, but he lets out this insane like growl. And Helen turns around with these big eyes like, oh, he comes running down the stairs and he grabs Diana. But then Charles pops up out of nowhere because he was, you know, I don't know if he was still looking around some part of the, the castle there. And then he just came upon this situation. But it, it turns into a scenario where you're like, what's going to happen here? Because, you know, you have Charles and Diana and they're surrounded by these two vampires. You know, how are they going to get out of this? And there's a lot of uh, tension in that scene. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I also think. um I think Diana's a virgin because uh, we were talking about what a kind of wild girl she is and she's up for kind of various things. And, I, mm-hmm. I, you know, and earlier on, she talks about her previous boyfriend who has some dopey name and Charles, oh, yeah. and Charles gets jealous. About Ho- this. Horace Peabody. Horace Peabody, yeah. <laughs> and he would have, Horace Peabody would have treated me like a gentleman. And I think there's, I think there's, because they could only intimate things, obviously. Yeah. Um, I think there's intimations that she's a virgin. She's married Charles, who is obviously older than her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's, I hesitate to say up for it, but she's, let's say she's interested in different experiences. That's why she wanders into the castle. And so Barbara appearing, you know, looking damn hot. Mm-hmm. Now that's, that's, that's kind of started her off. And then Dracula's like, well, hang on a minute. I get the virgin. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think there's that going on. I think that's fairly obvious that's going on. Um, mm-hmm. And then Charles is like, well, hang on, I'm, I'm out of this completely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting how they get out of it. Uh, Diana has a necklace on and it has a crucifix. So uh, Helen tries to, you know, vampiress Helen tries to grab her and I guess it kind of touches up against her arm and burns her arm and she lets out a scream. And that's when it, it hits Diana like, oh. This is something I can use to, you know, get us out of here. And uh, after Dracula kind of beat up on Charles a little bit, almost choked the life out of him, he uses a, a broken sword, which was a good scene I forgot to mention. Mm. At one point, Charles tries to wield a, it looks like a 20-foot-long sword, and Dracula just grabs it and snaps it like a twig, which is a pretty scary scene, man. Like, it, you know, a guy just comes walking up on you like, oh, you have a sword, that's nice, and grabs it right out of his hands and snaps it in two. That's pretty wild, and... Yeah, 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 and I and I and I have to say that Francis Matthews falls brilliantly when when Dracula throws him against the fire. That's like, wow, he really threw him. But that's Francis Matthews selling it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the stunt work itself is brilliant. Yeah, yeah, very very good scene, very good action scene there. You know, they use the the crucifix, and then uh, Charles realizes, oh, well, I have this uh, handy dandy sword that's been snapped in two. I'll use that as a crucifix, kind of like uh, Peter Cushing in the, in the mm. first film with the candlesticks. You know, it, it doesn't actually have to be a crucifix. You could use a makeshift one, too. And that kind of keeps them uh, at bay. Uh, and they try to go out the door and then Clove tries to <laughs> uh, hit them uh, from behind here. And uh, he gets found out and knocked oh. out. You slipped a wheel and we're four hours late. I'm not saying that it is. I'm just saying that I ain't going to go no further. And I thank you. To- Look up there, the castle. What's that place? What place? The castle. I don't see no castle. That's because you're not looking, idiot. <laughs> All right. Now, I had enough argument. Get the women out. Now, get them out. 
You'd better do as he says. Leave it, Charles, leave it. He's a highway robber. He just wants our luggage. I'll be back here two hours after dawn tomorrow. If any of you hear then, I'll take you on to Carlsbad. So yeah, so okay. yeah, we, we get uh, our they they knock clove out. Uh, our buddies here, uh, Diana and Francis, and they jump in the carriage and take off. And the first thing I thought is, wait a minute, is this the same carriage that the horses have a mind of their own and just immediately mm. go to the castle? So what are they going to do? Just a, you go around in a circle around outside the castle because the horses don't want to leave? <laughs> I can I can hear Jimmy Sank I can hear Jimmy Sanks to go shh shh shh. Don't pay attention to that bit. Just move on. <laughs> <laughs> well, they do take off, and the carriage goes berserk, and they both get thrown from it. And Charles kind of wakes up like, oh, man, what's going on? And poor Diana, she's knocked unconscious and really hurt. And then the next thing you know, re-enter Father Shandor. He's standing over them with some words of wisdom, like basically, I told you idiots not to go to the castle. <laughs> <laughs> more of his like great, yeah, more of his great uh, Catholic wisdom here, you imbeciles. <laughs> so he uh, takes them back to the monastery. And, uh, you know, they're going to nurse her back to health. And he starts to educate Charles on vampires and, you know, how to stop them, how to kill them, what they're all about, et cetera, et cetera. And while he's doing that, we see uh, Clove and he's uh, on his way to the monastery uh, after them as well. And he's got a couple of coffins in the back of his wagon and he pulls up there and they're like, yeah, you can hang out out here, pal. We'll bring you some food, but you're not allowed to come in. And we meet uh, Thorley Walters. What do you think mm. of his character in this? Sort of a, a Renfield, you know, type character, right? Yeah, yeah, he's totally Renfield. Um, yeah, I like. I, I always like Thorley Walters. I mean, I've seen kind of pieces in books and on screen that people don't like him mm. because because he is kind of put in to be the comedy. Um, but he, I like him. He always did it very yeah. well. And I, and I actually thought in this. He wasn't really the comedy character. He was just the no. poor, the poor sap servant. Um, Pawn, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I always like him. Again, he's another one of those actors where you go, oh great, he's in it, brilliant. It's that kind of comfortable yeah. viewing, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, I, I really, I mean, he did play kind of a goofball character in uh, Frankenstein Created Woman, but I yeah. thought that that was a, a good uh, opposite to play against. Peter Cushing, who was dead serious about yeah. science and knew everything, I thought it was a good job he did there, being a little bit silly and you know a bit of a drunk yeah. and stuff like that. It played really well against uh, Cushing in that one. Yeah, I think I think the the pieces that I've read, I think they object to um, the roles that he plays, not him as an actor, because what he did was what he was asked to do, and he did it very well. And, yeah. And if, you know, and again, I was always, oh, good, it's him. Like, you know, it's like, as we were saying, like Michael Ripper. Whenever Michael Ripper turned up in a hammock, oh, great, he's in it. Brilliant. Yeah. You know, you're, you're always happy to see them, aren't you? 
Yeah, absolutely. Those are people that no matter if it's a straight role or a little bit of comedy or whatever, I love seeing those 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 faces. Just always, yeah. you know, people again, you say the word hammer, you know, Lee and Cushing, and rightly so are the first two names you think of as far as the actors. But a lot of these other people that were either, you know, only in two or three maybe, or just mm. smaller roles in a lot of films, they really help make these films as good as they are as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think the Thorley Waters, that whole scene which uh, they obviously wrote for his benefit, where he, he asked Father Shandor to come in and inspect his the Bible that he's been decorating, and then he eats the fly. That's that's a fun <laughs> that's a fun that's a fun scene because you've got yeah. all waters being silly, and you've got Andrew Keir being stern and like, oh, I've got to deal with this idiot now. So <laughs> it all it, it all works, doesn't it? Yeah, and then I do too. I love it when uh, Diana's in her room and she's kind of resting and you hear this tapping on the glass mm. and she looks over to the window and this is really creepy too. It's Helen. And she's like, Diana, let me in. It's so cold out here. And she's like, I, I got away from him, you know, meaning Dracula, like, you know, I need help. And, you know, Diana, she doesn't know anything because she, you know, wasn't listening in on the conversation with uh, Charles and Father Shandor about vampires and evil and this and that. She just sees Helen out there and she's like, you know, saying that she's, you know, needs help so she opens the you know the window to let her in and helen does bite her like on the hand or wrist or something like that mm. and again dracula's like hey like i got first dibs and yeah he, he grabs her and kind of tosses her aside and tries to come in himself but then uh they come in uh i think father shandor and charles come in when she screams and you know they kind of ward him off but this is an interesting one too because a couple of times in hammer films brides of dracula and now this one too it shows you being able to Basically, you can be bitten by a vampire and there are ways to, I don't know if you want to say stop or expunge the infection, yeah. the bite, whatever. Uh, that's It's always interesting how sometimes, you know, films and even stories try to like uh, tiptoe around that. So they kind of use a, a hot lamp to kind of like burn the wound and, and then put something on it. It's it's, it's an interesting little, a little bit there, don't you think? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think I think they might have done something similar in Blade. Um, or one of the Blade films. Um, yeah. yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of whatever works for the story, isn't it? But yeah, um, it's interesting that that scene with Helen at the window. Mm-hmm. Again, I think it's you know people kind of. I think people are coming round to Hammer now, but I think for the last maybe ten years or so, people kind of poo pooed it and went, oh, they're just silly and they, you know, they're costume drums and whatever. But if you if you if you put together Helen at the window, which is Salem's lot, mm-hmm. that's exactly that scene. Yeah. If you if you put Clove with Alan's body, which is Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know they're both they're both Toby Hooper. I would be fairly sure that Toby Hooper was a Hammer fan because those scenes are so close to what he did in Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Salem's Lot. It's that can't be co- a coincidence. No, I don't uh, think so either. No, and that's a brilliant scene. And you know, every everybody, everybody, if you say to them Salem's lot, they go, "Oh, the kid tapping at the window." Yep. But but we go Helen tapping at the window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Poor Helen. Uh, she ends up getting caught by a couple of the uh, monks here, and mm. Father Shandor says to Charles, "Hey, uh, come with me. I'm going to show you how to." Uh, uh, take care of one of these vampires and <laughs> she gets uh, held down there on a table and charles is like really is this the only way to do it and he's like this is it pal so stand back and father shandor you know puts the stake to her and 
see a bit of blood squirting out there. And then uh, he says to Charles, you know, come over here and look. And you can see her, you know, uh, being a, a, a tad bit less sexy and <laughs> her yeah, teeth are, her teeth are gone and she's case, back to being, yeah, yeah she's back, basically back to being Helen. So uh, that's a crazy scene. I remember I saw this movie pretty young and I remember that scene and one we're going to talk about in a minute here that mm. kind of freaked me out a little bit. Yeah. Well, again, Bo Michelli is, is fantastic in that scene. Absolutely brilliant. Um, mm-hmm. Just, just the wild girl. Um, yeah. And she must have had a great time doing that. They all must have done. You can you can kind of tell um, when a cast is having fun, and I would I would be fairly sure they were all having a riot making this film. Yeah, I I, I feel like that when you uh, watch some interviews uh, with people that had been in some Hammer films on some documentaries and stuff like that before a lot of them passed away. You know, they told you you know especially in the the fifties and sixties, it was a very family like mm. atmosphere at hammer when you made films there you were you were made feel pretty comfortable yeah you were part of the gang yeah yeah so all right well then <laughs> here's another crazy part so dracula then is kind of mind controlling our buddy uh ludwig here uh, thorley walters and he he needs his help now that uh uh what's a uh, helen is dead so he kind of uh, says he comes into the room where Diana's uh, with one of the other uh, priests and says, hey, uh, Father Shandor needs to speak with you in his study. And he leads her down into the study and then uh, shuts the door behind her. And our buddy Dracula's in there. And this is one creepy scene, madam. I was a little kid. I, I had never seen or heard of this before. Of course, I've seen it and heard of it a million times now with, you know, not only can a vampire bite you and turn you into a vampire and a a slave and all this kind of stuff. But if you drink their blood, uh, you can also become a vampire that way as well. That was, that was something I had never heard of up until this point when I saw this movie. No, me neither. Um, but it's, um, it, it, it <laughs> no pun intend, intended, but it lays bare the sexual nature of the vampire because that is a completely sexual scene, a bizarrely, yeah. a bizarrely sexual, snm type scene that it's again, creepy, yeah yeah again you step back and go wait this was 1966 and you got away with this mm-hmm. yeah it's, i mean uh, you yeah. see lee he, lee just basically like kind of hypnotizes her and makes her uh take her uh, crucifix off and then he moves towards her and she kind of moves towards him and he opens his shirt and uses one of his fingernails to slice open like a pretty decent little cut in his chest and the blood starts running down and you can see he's, you know, mentally telling her like to uh, to drink it. And she mm-hmm. starts coming towards him and she's literally like inches away from doing it. And you hear Charles yell, Diana, and they come to the door. And this is one of my favorite scenes with Lee, too, because of what already has happened. And then when he kind of loses his control, Diana acts like she's going to faint a bit. So he grabs her and picks her up like a child. And goes over to this two set, you know, this mm. set of double doors, and boom, kicks these doors open like they're nothing. And <laughs> whether or not that was like a prop thing, I have no idea. But I also have no trouble believing that with a guy Christopher Lee size that he just kicked those things right open like that, no problem. Yeah, I was going to mention that bit if you didn't, Billy. Ooh. That's that that bit is incredible because if you, you know, you're already kind of shell shocked by. The, the cut in his chest open and the girl getting turned on by licking the blood off his chest. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then he kind of, he doesn't even kick the door. He just kind of taps it and it, and it just demolishes. <laughs> and you suddenly go, 
Oh yeah, again, he's not not only is he not even vaguely human, but he has the strength of a hundred men, you know, yeah. without, without even thinking about it. Yeah, he's not screwing around, and that's a wild scene. I was like, I was a kid, I was like, whoa, no way! <laughs> like, this, guy, yeah. this is crazy, and that's just like, you know, once you watch a couple of these, you're just like, man, it's over. Christopher Lee is my favorite Dracula of all time, man. Oh yeah, oh, nobody yeah. else is doing that and impressing me like that. Nobody. <laughs> no. no, no one. Mm, man, but okay, so then Dracula takes her to his crazy carriage uh, with Clove, who's still kicking around, and I guess it's getting towards early morning, so Dracula uh, throws uh, Diana into one of the coffins and jumps in the other one, and Clove starts making a beeline back to the castle, and, you know, Charles and Father Shandor are like, oh, man, crap, what are we going to do now? And he's like, it's okay, it'll take them, like, a day's journey to get there, and obviously they can't run around in the daytime, so we got time, and you know, they grab some uh, supplies, some vampire killing uh, equipment, and they head off on horseback after Clove. And they do end up cutting him off. And I do like how uh, Father Shandor, before they leave, he hands his rifle to uh, Charles. Nice. And Charles is like, hey, this is your, you know, this is your rifle. You should use it. And he's like, no, no, I won't. I'll shoot deer and shoot, you know, scare people with my gun, but I won't shoot a person with it. And I thought, you know, that's that's the only point in the entire movie where you're just like, Okay, now he's kind of a little bit slightly talking like a priest. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel that was kind of that didn't make sense that bit. Because yeah. um, I, I feel like this, maybe they thought the censor would go, yeah, come after them that. about it. Yeah. Yeah, there was no reason for him to give Charles the rifle, none whatsoever. Unless yeah. he had a unless he had a bigger rifle. I have a machine gun, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, so they, uh, they they chase after them. And, of course, you know, that's uh, the two guys on a horseback. They were able to run down, the, you know, chase him down. And they get in front of Clove there. And he gets up and tries to throw a knife. Charles shoots him. And then uh, the, the coach takes off on its own because that's how it works. You know, these horses, they know where they're going. And they, they go right back to the castle. And I do love how the, the carriage almost, like, tips over, hits a rock mm. or something. And mm. one of the... Uh, the coffin spills out onto a, a bit of a frozen uh, lake or pond that's right by the castle there. And um, one of them's still inside. And of course you're thinking to yourself, okay, which one is which? And they peek inside and see Diana's in the one inside. But uh, that means out on the ice is uh, our buddy, uh, the count and Francis Matthews character. Uh, Charles is like, no, you stay here. Father Shandor, I'll go after Dracula. And I'm thinking, dude, he knows way more about this crap. Than mm. Let him go mm. kill him. Mm. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, there's a couple of things there. Firstly, uh, we've, we've had Father Shandor kindly explain to us all the rules earlier on mm. and explain it to Charles that suddenly, oh, yeah, run, running water can kill vampires, everyone. Uh, really? Okay. All right. Yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> there's a new one. <laughs> yeah, there's, no, that's fine. If a priest says it, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um but also, I kind of, <laughs> I'm being a bit mean, but I, I kind of like, why did Charles survive? Because he's a, he's a tit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why, does he, why is he the one that gets to survive? But mm-hmm. there you go. He does. Yeah. I'd rather vampires Barb survive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <Ellen>. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's that's kind of where we end up here. So this in this final scene, and this is one where, it's definitely not one of my favorite endings for uh, one of the Hammer films, especially one of the vampire films. It's, no, it's not. Yeah, it's just sometimes the, the vampire deaths, maybe with exception to the first one, the, the, the resurrections were better than the deaths usually. So 
you know, he he pops out of the coffin and starts trying to strangle uh, Charles, who, you know, doesn't have enough time to basically get the stake in him before he pops up because the sun's starting to go down. And, um, yeah, I like Diana. She's like, why don't you shoot him? And Father Shander's <laughs> like, it would do no good. <laughs> but she don't believe him, I guess. So she grabs the gun anyway and tries to shoot Dracula and misses. But she uh, puts a hole in the ice there. We see some running water come up, and that catches Dracula's attention and then reminds Father Shander, oh, vampires don't like running water either so <laughs> he basically makes a bunch of shots all around dracula so he can't escape uh, and uh, he uh, ends up uh, getting tipped over into the into the uh, drink here so yeah not the greatest ending to uh, a vampire film for sure right no i mean it's kind of like you know dracula's wally coyote at that point isn't he yeah um, <laughs> yeah but <laughs> But the one thing, the one thing I do love about Hammer's endings, and it reminded me of Plague of the Zombies as well. Oh, I love you, Charles. I love you, Diana. Well, Father Shandor, how are we going to get home? It's like, bam, the vampire's dead. The credits yep. roll. Yeah, they get in and they get out with films. They start it out and they get going. There's not a lot of shenanigans in the beginning. There's not a lot yeah. of like they they get in and they get out. And again, maybe part of that too was you know, hey, budgetary things. It's mm-hmm. like you know, yeah. hey, you know, we only have so much time. We only have so much money. Let's get it done and. As long as, you know, you got the point across, well, what's the sense in having any, you know, nonsense at the end of the movie there to me that, that their endings, once they were just like, yep, here's how it ended. Roll credits. I, I like it. I like it that way. Yeah, I love that. I mean, most of them were an hour and a half and they were an hour and a half. Bang. That's it. Um, yeah. But even but even though the ending is a little bit disappointing um, and you kind of wish Father Shandor had come back. I do. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's still one of my favourites. I think again, the cast are brilliant and totally up for it. The sets are brilliant. The lighting's brilliant. The script is fantastic. There's there's nothing there where I go, yeah, I don't like that. Other than other than the ending, but I can forgive the ending because most of them aren't that great. To be honest, most of the endings aren't that great. Yeah, and I mean, the very next film, I had talked about that one. I think that was actually the very first Hammer film I ever talked about on a podcast. You know, Dracula's Risen from the Grave. My, it's it's my favorite one, partially because of Veronica Carlson. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. but uh, that one, you know, there's a, a priest, a monsignor in that one, and I almost feel like, oh, man, they should have brought Father Shandor back. Oh, he could have yeah. been in that one, you know, yeah. Yeah, that would have been a far super. I mean, it is that is a great one as well, but it would have been mm. much better with Father Shandor. But maybe Andrew Keogh didn't want to do it, you know. Yeah, so, I, I yeah, so. like you said, I think there was a couple of the films that he was in. He said he didn't have a real good time on them, and I think the Equator Mass in the Pit. He said he didn't get on very well with the director, and like you mm-hmm. said, you know, maybe this one as well. So I, I think maybe that was it. You know, after. Uh, after this one, he was like, yeah, I'm good. I don't want to do any more after that or after Quater Massio. It's a shame. It's a shame because Father Shandor is a brilliant character. Yeah. Um, as the comic strip proved. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, somebody should do a Father Shandor meets Captain Kronos. Maybe I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, there, hey, there you go, man. It's hey, you, you, hey, you, you've got the, uh, you've got the, the abilities there, man. You could do it. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, Matt. Well, any final thoughts on this one? Um, well, no, only, only really that I, I, I rewatched it uh, two nights ago in preparation for this. I hadn't seen it in maybe a year, mm-hmm. and it was still as great as I remembered because it's always. You know, I always go, oh, Dracula, Prince of Darkness is the one where Father Shandor bears his ass at the fire. That's how I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> but, that, that is a good scene. <laughs> yeah, but, but 
genuinely everything about it is great and everybody again you know you can tell when a cast is giving and a, and a crew is giving it their all and having a whale of a time and everybody clearly is enjoying themselves immensely in this and that and it translates to the viewer so yeah. I, so i always recommend this one mm-hmm. yeah absolutely this is one that you got to see two thumbs up here but you know get out there and see it it's you know you can find it on dvds and blu-rays mm. and junk like that even streaming i'm sure it's on one of the services yeah and of yeah. course you can see it on tv every once in a while too you know they have uh uh over your neck of the woods don't they have uh is it talking picks or something what well, else yeah i was just gonna say yeah we've got uh, in the uk we've got a channel a brilliant channel called talking pictures who show old movies and on a friday night um the blessed Carolyn Monroe, who we all know mm-hmm. and love, she yeah. presents she presents a couple of horror films every Friday night, and sometimes it's a hammer. So you know, over here we're all glued to it every Friday night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely it's you know you can see these films here and there. They definitely need to be uh, kept in the in the limelight. I think because it's it's a shame sometimes. You know, I think about it where you know Hammer and Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee didn't seem to get the shine they deserved while they were still alive. But you know, hey. Uh, I think it's up to uh, everybody that's fans of that stuff to keep it in the spotlight and just, you know, let everybody know that might not know or have seen any of these films. Yeah, you need to give these a try, you know, because especially when you put them in the perspective of 1950s, 60s, whatever, they were really, really good films for their day. And I think most of them still hold up to this day as well. You know, if you look at them. Yeah, I I think they do. I think, again, you know, there's there's some transgressive stuff in this one. There's some transgressive stuff in Vampire Lovers. Yeah, it's kind of schlocky, but there's there's stuff where they were kind of, as you said before, they were pushing the envelope. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you you don't only look at this stuff in its time. You look at it now, and it, and it still works. It really does. Yeah. Um, so I recommend these to everybody. Yeah, if you can get your hands on a set, you know, definitely do that as well because there are some sets out there. Even if it's, you know, something you got to get used on eBay or something like that and find a good price on it, decent condition, yeah, grab a set, you know, because there are a couple of really good sets out there that came out on DVD. And they're slowly putting Blu-rays out as well. You can get a a, a lot of these on Blu-ray now as well. So, yeah, definitely check them out. So, all right, well, go ahead, Pete. Well, I was just going to say, it's like like anything great. There's There's a reason why people still talk about Hammer. Mm hmm yep absolutely yeah, check it out check it out for yourself yeah if it was crap you wouldn't hear people talking about a movie from 50 60 years ago it's it's that's good right. stuff that's right yeah all right man so why don't we uh why don't we transition into what you have going on here so why don't you talk about your website uh it's a uh, petedory.bigcartel.com and then uh, some of your uh, comics on there yeah so i'm doing we're um we're all celebrating online um the mighty jack kirby's birthday today of course uh, and I, uh, as you know, Billy, I do a comic called Stan and Jack, which is exactly mm-hmm. what it sounds like. And it's uh, it's kind of the boys as if Mad had done a comic strip about them. <laughs> Get guest starring pretty much everybody from the bullpen. Uh, I'm working on the fifth issue at the moment, which is a sword and sorcery one, which is going to be John Buscema versus Barry Windsor Smith. Mm-hmm. Um guest starring Wendy Pinney as Red Sonia and guest starring Sal Buscema and Frank Thorne. Everybody you love, everybody, everybody loves from that era, they're in it. Uh, the sixth issue is going to be Bernie Wrightson, as I said before. 
and it's going to be called giant size stand thing so <laughs> this is kind of it's kind of an ongoing thing where i'm celebrating every single creator who we all love um so i've got uh, uh, the thought bubble convention in october which is the big kind of small press comic convention here in harrogate Mm-hmm. Uh, where I'm going to be selling hopefully some Stanley Jack and uh, also the kids from Wreck Road which is the strip that myself and Sean Phillips did mm-hmm. when we were kids uh, everybody knows Sean from Criminal and Pulp and uh, Reckless and all that great stuff oh, yeah. uh, and it's uh, it's a strip about us when we were kids comic fans in the 70s um, just about being comic fans so good fun comedy nostalgic stuff mm, yeah absolutely yeah great stuff definitely check out that website and uh if you want to give pete a follow as well he's on twitter at Dory. so definitely get out there and give him a follow man do it do it yeah so all right well thanks pete for being on here with me again this was a blast we'll have to get our heads together and maybe talk another hammer film or just hey maybe even an amicus film too i haven't mm. talked about an amicus film in a while it's let's do an let's do an amicus film yeah definitely. yeah <laughs> yeah man i think the last one i may have talked about was dr terror's house of horror i think that might have been the last one i talked about which is a good one yeah that's a good one that's an early one uh, mm-hmm. uh what about the house the drip blood or something like that yeah. yeah, yeah, we'll have to get our heads together here and then uh, get that going. So, all right, man. Well, I want to thank you again for being on, and then uh, I'm going to let you go here, and then I'll be back in a minute to wrap things up. Thank you, Billy. Thanks for inviting me. You betcha. All right, everybody, that's going to wrap up this episode. Once again, I want to thank Pete Dory for coming on. Pete's a real good guy definitely check out his website and his stan and jack comic and everything else he's got going on he's really got some fun stuff there so definitely check out the website which is in the show notes and uh, be ready for another episode in about two weeks time catch you next time